Chapter 15 of the Amethyst Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Amethyst Cross by Fergus Hume. Chapter 15 A Startling Letter. After Mrs. Walker's portentous visit to Rose Cottage with her lawyer, things went on quietly for some days. Mr. Hale, at first, positively refused to speak on the subject of the cross and the fortune attached thereto, as he maintained that it was useless to talk about impossibilities. Then he changed his mind, and spoke with extraordinary freedom. "'Nothing can be done until we find the Amasus cross,' he said gloomily to his daughter. "'When that is produced, the money will be forthcoming.' But you forget, father, that the cross has to be produced by Mrs. Walker's nephew or niece, said Lesbia doubtfully. She hasn't got one, snapped Hale. If there was a child, it is dead. I know that no child was brought to my house at Wimbledon by Kate Morse. Mrs. Walker said that was her sister's maiden name. Do you know the name of the man she married? Yes. Hale cast a jealous side glance at his daughter. It's an old story, and a long one. Which has to do with Mrs. Walker's enmity against you? persisted Lesbia. Yes, said Hale again. She thought that I had something to do with my sister's elopement. Such rubbish, as though I could have helped it. Why did Miss Morse run away, then? Because of her father. He was a wealthy, old, psalm-singing idiot, who made the two girls wretched. Kate fell in love with a certain friend of mine, I am not going to mention his name, and old Morse told him that he was not to come near the house. Then Kate took the bit between her teeth and ran away with the man. She had a miserable life, I believe, but I saw nothing of her until she stumbled foot-sore and weary into my house at Wimbledon. The rest you know. And the money? asked Lesbia anxiously. You heard all that is to be said on that subject when Mrs. Walker was here, growled Hale, who was more communicative than usual. But I'll repeat the story, because I wish to make a suggestion. What is the suggestion? asked the girl, who mistrusted the uneasy looks of her father. First the story, and then the suggestion, he remarked grimly. Well, it can scarcely be called a story. Samuel Morris, the psalm-singing old ass I told you of, had a hundred thousand pounds, two daughters, and no son. He made a will, leaving the money equally divided between them, and after death the money, if not used up, was to go to their heirs. Judith, Mrs. Walker, that is, married a scampish man about town, who soon got through all she had, and then broke his neck in a steeplechase, leaving Judith with next to nothing upon which to bring up George. Kate, having eloped with a man whose name I don't wish to mention, did not claim her share of the cash. If Mr. Morse was so angry, I wonder he did not alter his will. He would have done so. Of that I am absolutely certain, said Hale emphatically. But he had no time to do it. Shortly after he made his will, Kate eloped, and the old man died in a fit of rage, before he could give instructions to Jebez, who was his lawyer. Jabez gave fifty thousand pounds to Judith, who by and by married Walker and lost it all through his spendthrift habits. The remaining fifty thousand he invested, 
and what with the principal and interest, it must be a tidy sum by now. At all events, it brings in over two thousand a year. Since Kate is dead, the money passes to her child, if she left any, which I do not believe. Failing a child, it reverts by the will to Mrs. Walker. But why need she produce the Amethyst Cross? asked Lesbia. She need not, as her identity is fully established in Jebez's eyes. The cross, as I learned from him years ago, was an ornament which old Morse had made for Kate, a kind of religious symbol. Who bears the cross will win the crown, said Lesbia, remembering the ornament. Or rather, as the motto goes, lose the crown by refusing the cross. Hale nodded with a smile of contempt. Yes, that was old Morse's idea. He gave the cross to Kate, and then she ran away with it and the man who became her husband. Jabez, knowing that the ornament is peculiar, swears that he will need the cross to prove the identity of Kate or of her child, as no one else could possess so odd a trinket. As if it could not be imitated exactly, ended Hale with contempt. The cross might be imitated, said Lesbia doubtfully, but as the poor woman is dead, it will not be so easy to produce a child as hers. Hale, with his head on one side, looked at her oddly. I don't know so much about that, he said slowly. What do you mean? questioned Lesbia, seeing that her father had something on his mind. Well, said Hale, pinching his chin and still looking at her as though to hypnotize her mind, there is no child, as I said. But you were only a baby twenty years ago, born, in fact, only a week before Kate Morse came to my house. Could we not say that you are the child? What? Lesbia looked indignantly at her father. Don't be foolish, said Hale testily. It is not a crime, seeing that the money is there for the asking. Bridget Burke told you that the cross was given to you by your mother. Let it be so, and I can swear, and for your sake I can get Tim to swear, that you are the long-lost child. The train has already been laid by Bridget's story, which, by the way, I told her to tell you, so old Jabez will be easy to convince. Lesbia drew a long breath. I should not think of deceiving and robbing Mrs. Walker. Oh, nonsense, said Hale earnestly. When she dies, the money goes to her son, so if you marry him, you can hand over twenty-five thousand to him, or, say, one thousand a year. Thus you will be acting honestly towards the Walkers, my dear, and— And dishonestly toward myself, cried Lesbia indignantly. And what of the remaining one thousand a year, father? Hale drooped his eyes suavely. I take that for arranging that you get the money. Come, Lesbia, what do you say? I decline, she retorted, quivering with indignation. How dare you, who are my father, make such a proposal? Even if I were the true child, I should not give you one penny. Ah, said Hale bitterly, I thought so, and thus suggested a wild scheme to try you. I might have known. I believe that if I had fallen in with your scheme, cried Lesbia boldly, that you would have arranged to carry it through. You have not the cross, however, and even if I consented... I remember the look of the cross, and so do you. It could have been duplicated, my dear. Lesbia looked at her father in pained astonishment, and then burst into bitter tears. Oh, how I wish that I could respect you, she wailed. 
He lifted his eyebrows. Don't you? No. How can I when I find that you are so wicked? I was only trying you, he said hastily. Although it is true that had you shown a disposition to give me my fair share, I might have endeavored to get you this fortune. But, as it is, I see well that all my pains would be thrown away. You would see me, your own father, starve rather than let me have one penny. Lesbia dried her tears. I would have nothing to do with such a wicked scheme, and I only wish I could get away from you. You have never been a father to me, and every day we drift further and further apart. When I see Lord Sharvington, I shall ask him to help me to get a situation, as a companion or a nursery governess, and then— Lesbia, you surely would not disgrace me by talking to Charvington in that way, said Hale, his face growing dark. Perhaps I have never been affectionate, but then I feel more than I say, and you have always had comfort in all that I could give. I have had everything, save a father's love. My nature is a reticent one, said her father sullenly, so it is useless to ask for impossibilities. If you really are unhappy with me, marry George Walker and have done with it. And what about Captain Sargent? asked Lesbia sharply. Hale shrugged his shoulders. I can't force you to marry a man against your will, bad father as you say that I am. I have done my best for you, and you persistently regard me with suspicion. What you propose to do just now? Was merely an experiment. Think no more about it, and don't make yourself ridiculous with Charvington. Play your cards well with him and his wife, and you may make a good match. I shall marry no one but George said Lesbia obstinately. He won't have anything to do with you, sneered Hale, and turned away. Things being strange in this way, Lesbia was sufficiently unhappy, especially as George was absent and silent. She could not understand why, after her explanation, he refused to come back to her. But in the depths of her mind she felt certain that he was acting against his heart's desire, and much in the same way as she had acted when she dismissed him. It was impossible to see him, as he was in London, and she did not know his address, and it was equally impossible to write to him. Certainly, as Mrs. Walker was ready to receive her, she could have gone to Medmedem to converse with that formidable lady, but she hesitated to pour out her woes in that quarter. In spite of her sudden friendliness, Mrs. Walker was unsympathetic, and the poor girl longed for some kind breast whereupon she could lie, and weep, and be comforted. Thus it can easily be guessed that Lesbia hailed with joy the arrival of a brisk little woman who introduced herself as Lady Sharvington. She came in a gorgeous motor-car, with much noise and pomp, and was dressed like Solomon in all his glory, so wonderful was her frock. Mr. Hale was within and received her with much deference, which was natural considering that Lord Sharvington was his patron. Lesbia was sent for, and duly came down to the tiny drawing-room to be introduced. So this is Lesbia, said Lady Sharvington, putting up a tortoiseshell lorgnette. Quite a beauty, I declare. She frowned a trifle when she said this, for her own daughters, in their teens at present, were not beautiful. She herself had no great pretension to good looks, although she made the best of herself in every way. She was as small as Lesbia, but did not possess such a complexion or such a figure, and there was an ill-tempered droop to her mouth which made the girl mistrust her. For Lord Sharvington's sake, since he had been so kind to her, 
Lesbia was anxious to love his wife, and perhaps had she been a plain girl, Lady Sharvington might have given her an opportunity of exercising such affection. But the looks of Lesbia took her aback, as she saw in this delicately beautiful girl a formidable rival, not only to her plain daughters, but to herself. For Lady Sharvington, in spite of her age and the fact that she was married, flirted a great deal. However, swiftly as these things passed through her mind, she did not permit them to be revealed by her face, and welcomed Lesbia with well-affected enthusiasm. "'You, dear,' she said, hopping up like a bird to peck the velvet cheek of her proposed guest, "'why have you hidden yourself for so long?' "'I have been stopping here with my father since I came from school,' said Lesbia, trying to overcome a sudden dislike for this smiling vision of small talk and chiffon. Lady Sharbington shook a dainty finger at Mr. Hale, who was looking on, well pleased at the scene. "'You naughty, naughty man!' she cried effusively and girlishly. "'How dare you keep beauty shut up in a castle no one ever heard of!' "'But that Sharvington spoke about this sweet thing the other day, "'and proposed to have her over at the court for a few days. "'I should never have seen her.' "'I didn't wish to trouble you with my girl, Lady Sharvington.' "'Oh!' Lady Sharvington uttered a little scream of delight, "'while taking in every detail of Lesbia's looks and costume. "'There will be no trouble.' We have always plenty of nice boys at the court, and they will lose their heads over this sleeping beauty. For you are that, you know, she added to Lesbia, whatever the poor dear creature's name may have been. But I have come at my husband's express desire to wake you up, and to find a prince who will kiss you. I have already got one, said Lesbia abruptly. I am engaged. Hale frowned, as he thought that she was too candid, but Lady Sharvington felt more satisfied than she had been. An engaged girl would not be so dangerous. "'Then we must ask your prince over to the court also,' she declared effusively, and kissed Lesbia again. "'I have brought over the car to take you back to dinner. Get your frocks and frills, dear, and we shall start while the afternoon is yet warm.' "'Are you ready to go, Lesbia?' asked Hale, smiling artificially, for, from the look on his daughter's face, he was not quite sure if she approved of the invitation." but he need not have troubled. Lesbia did not like Lady Sharvington, but, being anxious to see my lady's husband and tell him of her troubles, since the sending of the check proved him to be a kindly man, made up her mind to overcome her mistrust and travel in the motor-car. "'Everything is ready,' she said quietly. "'I have only one box.' "'Oh, but, my dear, I wish you to stay for a week,' protested the lady. "'So I understand, and thank you very much,' replied the girl with enforced cordiality and the one box of clothes will be sufficient. Dear me, said Lady Sharvington with a gasp, what a careful girl you must be. Why, I take five boxes for a week's visit. I'm not rich enough to do that. Besides, added Lesbia, smiling, I should only cumber up your motor car. Oh, that is all right. It is a big thing and holds heaps. Have you ever been in one, my dear girl? Lesbia has lived a very quiet life interposed Hale quickly, and knows nothing of modern luxury. Poor thing, said Lady Sharvington, with a pitying glance. I hope your prince is wealthy, she added, turning to Lesbia. The girl smiled. On the contrary, he is very poor. Dear me, I seem to have found a paragon of virtue. But are you not rather foolish, my dear girl? With such a face and such a figure, and with my influence, you should make a better match. So I tell her, cried Hale quickly. 
he was always on the watch to put in a word. And she is not really engaged, Lady Sharvington. There is some disagreement between Lesbia and Mr. Walker. Oh, what a horrid name, so plebeian, cried Lady Sharvington. George is not plebeian, said Lesbia, coloring hotly. His father was the Honorable Alamar Walker. Lord Casterton's third son, said the visitor, nodding. Yes, I have heard of him from my brothers. He was rather wild, was he not? Really, I don't know. There is no chance of his coming in for the title, your George, I mean, prattled on Lady Sharvington, as Almer Walker's two elder brothers have both heaps and heaps of children. I rather think that Elmer was the black baba of the family. Well, there, I'm talking scandal, a thing of which I highly disapprove. Go and get your things, dear, and tell your man to put your box on the motor. Wilkins will help him. He's the chauffeur, not at all a bad driver, but, oh, so dreadfully reckless. Be prepared to go like the wind, my dear. Lady Sharrington babbled on in this fashion with bird-like glances here and there, taking in every detail of the room. She knew that Hale was a poor relation of her husband's, and indeed had received him twice or thrice at the court near Maidenshead. But this was the first time she had seen his daughter, and, but for the express command of Lord Sharbington, she would not have asked her over. There was some comfort in the fact that the girl's affections were engaged, but all the same, such beauty, whether free or bound, would prove dangerous. I trust she won't interfere with my men, thought Lady Sharbington, as she smiled sweetly on Lesbia, leaving the tiny drawing-room. The girl summoned Tim to take her box to the motor-car which was panting violently at the door, and went her to her room to put on her hat. She made a desperate attempt while doing so to overcome her dislike to Lady Sharvington, as she felt sure that for some reason the little woman was hostile. Lesbia was too unsophisticated to put down the hostility to the fact that Lady Sharvington found her exasperatingly beautiful, and was puzzled to think why any hostility should exist. But it certainly was there, and Lesbia detected it immediately. However, as she could see no reason for any such feeling existing between her and a woman who, on the face of it, was doing her a kindness, she fought desperately with her intuition. Still, it seemed to her that she was but leaving one abode of trouble to go to another, wherein even more annoying things might happen, and the root of all the worry was the missing cross. Tim took down the box, and then returned to Lesbia's bedroom as she was issuing therefrom. He drew her back mysteriously, and produced a letter cautiously from his inner pocket. "'This is for you, miss,' he declared in a whisper. It came under cover to me by the midday post, with a scratch of a pin saying Mr. Canning sent it, and twas to be given ye at once. Mr. Canning! Lesbia's face grew eager, and she hastily opened the thin envelope to skim five or six lines written on foreign notepaper. What she read surprised her, and she noted that the address given was in a quiet street in Whitechapel. I have heard indirectly, wrote the shadow, that you are going some time to the court Lord Sharvington's place near Maidenhead. If you do, keep a good watch, as two London thieves, the same who robbed Tate's strong-room by Tate's direction, are about to try to steal Lady Sharvington's jewels when everyone is at dinner. The attempt will be made on Thursday evening. I advise you to warn Lord Sharvington, but tell him not to bring in the police, as he will deeply regret doing so. Yours always, C. This mysterious letter signed with Canning's initial, startled Lesbia. For the moment she felt inclined to go down and tell her father. 
but on second thoughts, and with a discretion far beyond her years, she decided to say nothing until she met her host. It was now Tuesday, and the burglary was not arranged for until Thursday. There was ample time. "'It's nothing, Tim,' she said mendaciously, putting the letter away. "'Good-bye for one whole week, you dear old thing.' And she kissed him fondly. End of chapter 15 Recording by Todd